Welcome to 824 on the Rocks. I'm Eric Kiska, and today I'm drinking an Aperol Spritz. Up next, we have Kelly. Hi, I'm Kelly Kiska, and I am drinking Black Cherry Jim Beam. Hello, I am Cole William Whitlaw Gibson, and I am drinking Star Ward Twofold Double Grain Australian Whiskey on the Rocks. My name is Blaze Fitzgerald Ryan the First, and I am sipping on some tap water tonight because <laughs> I did a silly thing, and I bet that every time the Lightning scored on the Blackhawks, I would do a shot of Malort. So I am nursing that. Um, finally, we a man that really needs no introduction, but I'm gonna let him introduce himself anyways. My name is Kcon, aka the Great Gonzo, and tonight I'm drinking Imperial. I'm a peacock. You gotta <laughs> let me fly. Which is a sour ale with sweet cherry and vanilla, 9% from Youngblood Brewing Company, right here in good old Wisconsin. So uh, basically, we all kind of wanted to start a podcast here about a movie studio we love so much called A24, and uh, we're going to tell a little, a little bit about ourselves so that you can kind of know like why we wanted to start this podcast, and uh, you can get a little more personality behind the names here. So I'm from uh, Gross Point Woods, which is a little suburb outside of Detroit. I grew up being an aspiring director. Now I would say I'm an aspiring screenwriter, and I'm a mailman, and my favorite film is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Jack Nicholson, and he, he's also my favorite actor. And growing up, uh, I was pretty obsessed with Jack Nicholson and all of his movies, and also, I don't know, I just kind of watched a lot of like classics growing up, like Clockwork Orange, a lot of Kubrick films. So that is a little bit of my background. Kelly, tell us a little bit about you. So I come from the Great White, which is to say Grand Lake, Michigan, and it was a boring uprising, but you find a way to entertain yourself through content and media and design, and I find myself that my favorite movie is something called Repo the Genetic Opera. It is a gory rock opera, and it is absolutely gorgeous. It was graphic novel turned movie. And it's better with every rewatch. So that's what I'm all about. If you know what that as a base, that largely will be my lens of where I view movies from. It tells you a lot about me and what I think about things. After me comes Cole. Hello, my name is Cole Willemula Gibson, as described earlier. I grew up in Lansing, or Mason, Michigan, just south of Lansing. Uh, Family's Canadian, first born uh, in America, pretty exciting. I grew up in a little farming town, middle of nowhere, no high-speed internet. It was rough living, but the movie store saved my life. And uh, I am a big uh, cinemaphile. I love the 80s, and I love A24. Got real big into that, obviously. That's why I'm here. Uh, one of my all-time favorite movies is The Thing. I just love the whole vibe and like the kind of like the onset of terror and uncertainty throughout that whole movie. And I also really, really enjoy the uh, like practical effects that they performed in that movie. Were truly amazing. And uh, you're gonna find out that I am a big vibe and like. Uh, effects and like cinematography type person so that really kind of drew me towards the a24 vibe but up next we have my boy blaze what up yo thank you hey man those are some great movies that's uh kelly's favorite movie is the best movie with paris hilton in it i would definitely have to say that um, <laughs> uh yeah i kind of the come from the same background as cole i uh you know blackbuster was my favorite place to go on friday nights as a kid growing up and you know, I, as I've expanded more into, uh, I got, I remember in, 
uh, college, I think it was with Eric Kiska, actually, we watched Cannibal Holocaust, and I got into all these, like, oh, just weird, <laughs> just, like, art housey films, and, um, you know, for me, it's the more, I used to be the more the gore, like, I like the campy films, obviously, um, but then, like Cole said, I really got into, like, how films are shot more than anything, because I think more of what's not said says louder words than things that are said uh, when it comes to movies. Um, and that being said, uh, my favorite movie happens to be an A24 project, a little diddly called uh, Hereditary, starring Tony Collette. Um, and I just think, just uh, we'll talk about it in five years from now, because that's how long it is in the, <laughs> the list, but how they uh, encapture her miniatures and how they like zoom in and out to make it, uh, you know, it almost looks like we have a God's point of view, and it's just such a really cool way to... Um, View it. So yeah, I'm going to try to bring that type of uh, knowledge, I guess, or insight at least um, when I look at these movies. Um, and again, finally, we have the boy Kev. Hey guys. Like I said earlier, well, I didn't really say my name earlier, but my name is Kevin. And like many of you, I grew up on the classics. Um, you know, when I was a kid, it was uh, the movies that Disney put out that obviously was kind of made the base for for all of my movie loving moving forward, but uh, Milo and Otis, you know the classic animals uh, being lost out in the woods, uh, Homeward Bound, you know the classic you know, things like that were, were things that totally uh, reminded me that animals are the best thing out there for for a lot of us, and why I love my pet so damn much. But in movies in general, I feel like one of those things where I don't know enough about it, which is why I'm here, including A24. I'm thinking like I'm the outside candidate in this whole group. But I bring a uh, kind of a blank slate to all these movies uh, because I'm not as familiar with them, which kind of brings a, a cool outlook to this whole thing. Uh, as far as the the great movie hills to die on, uh, I live and die by Die Hard being the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Major League being the greatest baseball movie of all time, Bill Murray being the fucking goat, uh, Oscars being a joke, and Nicolas Cage being the voice of a generation, a modern day Shakespeare, a poet, and the single greatest actor of all time. His classic Conair will live in the annals of time forever. Thank you very much. Welcome, Kevin. If your career doesn't <laughs> pan you. out, you should just write wrestling promos, because, like, you make me believe. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's good. No. That's Even though Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, I, you almost had me. Hey. <laughs> it really is quite... Yeah. quite I didn't know you didn't know any A24 movies, Kevin. This is, this is yeah, a buddy. surprise. This, oh. is, this is all brand yeah. new for me. It's all, see, all brand we've new. all been kind of following them for a while, and I, whenever they release a new film, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, it, it goes to the top of my list of seeing yeah. it. That being said, the point of this podcast is to review every single A24 film in chronological order. We hope that we will learn some things along the way and become better film reviewers, but at the same time, uh, you know, we hope we get entertained along the way, because, uh, today I cannot say I was very entertained by the movie, <laughs> which is <laughs> a glimpse inside the mind of Charles Swan III. And so, a little bit of background about A24 in general, though. Uh, it was founded on August 20th, 2012, by Daniel Katz, not of Barstool, David Fenkel, and John Hodges. Uh, Katz, he formerly led a film finance group at Guggenheim Partners. Fankel was the president, co-founder, and partner at Ocelope, and uh, Hodges served as the head of production and development. And the name A24 came from uh, Italian A24 Motorway. Cole, is that Formula One? I, I don't think so. No. You don't think so? Okay. And so Katz was driving on this motorway when he decided to find the, or found the company. And the motorway is also renowned in Italian film history as the setting of the small... Abruzzan towns and rural landscapes employed in the films of neorealist and surrealist masters. So, uh, Guggenheim provided the seed money, which, uh, that sounds a little dirty. I don't really know what that means. Um, I guess he just, they provided the startup money. And, uh, the company wanted to make films from a distinctive point of view. And that's a very kind of general, like, you know, idea of the whole company. I don't think they, you know, got it right away with this first one, but all of A24 films definitely have that kind of mm. um, distinctive point of view, different feel to it. You know when A24 produces a film, 
you know, kind of the feel of the film. Uh, Cole, you want to speak on that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, so obviously, um, yeah, A24 just has that, that, they're just very good at portraying, like, feelings and, like, uh, you know, like a vibe throughout the movie through, without words or anything, like Blaze was saying. Uh, this one, not really nailing the, the thing, but uh, it is still, like, kind of boggles my mind that A24 released their first feature film in 2012 and we're 10 years later and they just have like a plethora of films that have just been released and and so many of them recently have just been amazing so it's it's truly like it's very cool to see like a newer like a very young uh movie producing studio compete with a lot of these bigger massive ones that have been around since the beginning of films uh but yeah a24 they just uh something about them they just really capture that vibe but uh yeah, you know, they uh, started off bad, and I'm very interested to hear Kevin's viewpoint of what he thinks 824 is all about after watching this film. 100%, and if that's the, the transfer into into me, uh, I, of course, have done my own little research on 824 since, you know, joining this, this lovely podcast, and, of course, watching this film and taking in, kind of, uh, the approach... I have decided that A24 kind of got a little uh, cold feet and weren't really sure how they were going to spend their first money on their first film. Uh, I think they kind of were looking for that quintessential, quirky, Wes Matthews tap. Wes Matthews, wow, look at me look at watching ba- basketball too much. Wes Anderson, watch Wes Anderson style movie um, where it feels just like a little bit artistic right a little bit extra on the side it has that little little quirky actor doing something a little extra and it kind of slips through the background there but it doesn't really deliver in the end and i'm sure we'll get into that when we talk about the whole thing but i think a24 kind of started out with a swing in the miss but it wasn't deterred it wasn't something they were going to slow down with and they continued to stick by that idea of that indie movie that was bigger than kind of what maybe the, the festivals were giving it credit for um, and we see sure. that now 10 years later, which I'm excited to just kind of get used to that and see how the rest of the movie's playing out. Yeah. So, A Glimpse Inside, The Mind of Charles Swan III was released on February 8th, 2013, written and directed by Roman Col- uh, Coppola, who is the son of famed director Francis Ford Coppola, who did The Godfather and Apocalypse Now. Uh, he also has helped write a lot of Wes Anderson films. Um, some of them he... Actually, he helped write the screenplay. Others he did the story the story for, including uh, The French Dispatch, Isle of Dogs, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and The Darjeeling Limited. And then this, of course, stars Charlie Sheen. Um, and I kind of want to talk a bit about Charlie Sheen and just how far he's <laughs> fallen from uh, pop culture relevancy. Um, this movie came after the Two and a Half Men debacle, mm-hmm. and in the middle of when he was doing a TV series called Anger Management, it was uh, after the whole Tiger Blood bit, after he was uh, publicly in a polyamorous relationship with a porn star. And also, so this is a weird thing. Um, I didn't realize this at the time, but the thing that got him canned from Two and a Half Men was uh, he was actually on the Alex Jones show in uh, way back when. <laughs> and he said some anti-Semitic uh, comments about Two and a Half Men lead writer and creator Chuck Lore, And that's what got him canned from there. Blaze, talk to me a bit about your knowledge of Charlie, or, you know, your feel of Charlie Sheen in that time period, how big of a pop culture icon he was, and then kind of how he fell from there. Oh my gosh, that man was, like, the epitome of tiger blood, to use (laughs) an old meme. Um, He definitely, you could see the uh, wheels were falling off um, as soon as that, like, I I remember... uh, why he got fired from Two and a Half Men because of his, you know, he, he pulled a Mel Gibson and, uh, you know, said some pretty hateful shit, and he rightfully uh, got kicked from the show. Um, and then, like, but this was like, again, this is like 2010s. So, you know, the 24-hour news cycle, uh, internet, everything was like just getting like, you know, big. So that was the thing that everyone latched onto. So he took it as, you know. I'm gonna use this to just go absolutely ape shit. I remember he was having parties and like he like got a HIV, I believe. Um, yeah, HIV positive. Yeah. yeah. Um, God, he was just a train wreck, and it's so weird because he was, you know, in such great movies in the '80s and '90s. Two and a Half Men, he made a bajillion dollars off of. 
Then his uh, brother was the famous Mighty Ducks coach. <laughs> uh, his dad yeah. was a great actor, too. So he has the great pedigree. And this kind of... Okay, we'll talk about the movie, but it really feels like he was playing a parody of Charlie Sheen in this movie. I think it, I don't think it's a coincidence his name's Charles in this film. Yeah, true. Uh, Kelly, you're a bit... You're a bit younger than us, and do you have the same kind of memories of Charlie Sheen around that time that we do? I'd say I was too young to really know Two and a Half Men, but at the perfect age where you've got slightly unfettered internet access and the entire internet is full of tiger blood. (laughs) And Shmoyo on YouTube doing the video, um, music videos of Charlie Sheen, and just... It was everywhere. It was all that you could see. And that's all I knew about him, really. And then as soon as he was on the scene and covering the entire internet, he was gone. Yeah, he, you know, pretty much ruled the headlines around that time. Because on top of that, he, you know, also he uh, was married to Denise Richards, too. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, she she was very big, too, at that time. And uh, I guess my first memory of Charlie Sheen was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, I saw that when I was a kid. And uh, he was just kind of... Uh, Ferris Bueller's sisters, um, I don't know, they kind of get together at, at the jail cell, basically. And, <laughs> yeah, that's my first memory of him. Yeah. yeah, right. The unique thing about this whole thing with Charlie Sheen is that he kind of imploded before everybody's mm-hmm. eyes, right? He used mm-hmm. the internet as this public forum to go out and then all of a sudden just start spewing shit until everyone's like, holy crap, he's crazy, let's all pay attention to him like he was some sideshow animal. And then he's like, wait, I can make money off of this. He did a world tour. He wrote a book. I f- maybe he wrote a book. I don't even know. But he took all of this tiger blood stuff and winning. Remember that? Like, how many conversations ended with winning in some sort of insert? Double Couldn't winning. have a conversation at work. <laughs> winning. Winning. It was Was he everywhere. a precursor to Donald Trump? Like, did he, he give he Donald Trump that phrase? Yeah. He, was, he was a huge conspiracy nut. He, he yeah. absolutely was on Alex Jones for a reason. Like, the <laughs> dude was absolutely bonkers. And like Kelly said, yeah. as soon as he was there. Yeah, like that. And this movie that we're about to talk about right now is this supposed to be this launch back into into relevancy? It was supposed to be this back Hollywood thing where he's the 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 man himself, the 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 front uh, focus, the the leading guy, and then that's it. And there was nothing. It was like almost a love story to himself, and it was just awful. God, terrible. <laughs> so basically, what we're saying is that he did. Huge things for memes. That's like, thank yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Charlie. He was a, he was a meme artist. Uh, Kelly, would you say he actually hedges on a pop artist, uh, like where he he is the literal artist, like his public persona is the art. He's an unintentional pop artist. Like, there's yeah. no like thought behind it ahead of time, and I don't think he's studying fame in his conspiracy theory trailer or anything and then like how am i going to wedge myself here or there i think that other people are making money off of his back of him just going like off the wall bonkers and he leans Mm. into that further but he he fell into it it wasn't intentional so i wouldn't call him a pop artist in that right well it's just uh it's crazy that he uh at the time was the highest paid like tv actor of of all time he was making Mm -hmm. like almost two million dollars per episode of two and a half men and then he just went absolute nuts and uh had had just a complete train wreck and kept doing interviews during that whole time which usually when people like do that they kind of like go away but he was just like nah man i'm (laughs) get me in front of that camera i got something to say (laughs) and everyone was here for it yeah it was pretty pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he hasn't done many films uh, since 2000. He hasn't done any films since 2017, and Anger Management was his last big gig uh, on TV. So, getting into the actual film, a glimpse inside the mind of Charles Schwann III. It is about a 1970s, uh, 1970s successful graphic designer, and he's kind of an ad guy. He's an artist. He makes uh, logos. And Kelly here is a graphic designer, and I, I guess I'll go to you first. What did you think about, like, kind of the world they put him in? I, so personally, I didn't actually think that this film was placed in the 1970s until about halfway through the film. I knew that it had, like, all the, yeah, it had all of the set design, the costume design, but, like, it, there was no, like, like, thing on TV or something to really tell me, oh, yeah, this is actually in the 1970s as opposed to it just being a directorial 
uh, artistic choice to kind of have this guy like dressing like he's from the 70s because he's a has-been. So, Kelly, what did you think about that kind of the set design and the costume design to place you in this world? So that's actually like the big pro that I'm going to give this movie. Um, and we can talk about the negatives, and I'm sure we will in detail. But as far as who he was and the design of it and everything, so I'll start there. It's that he's driving around in this classic old car with bacon and eggs and printed on the side. <laughs> the way he dresses is like a certain style and everything. But I agree with you that you don't necessarily know it takes place in the 70s. You think that it might just be his personal style in kind of a retro way until a little bit later. That said, though, the costuming of, of everyone, the set design throughout the whole movie, I think was a huge pro. And as well as the opening of the movie, if I could talk on that, too, <laughs> was the biggest highlight in my eyes uh, with him being interviewed and having the graphic designer kind of brain pouring out of him on the black background um, with all these advertisements and everything. If that's his world, it makes a lot of sense. It really got me excited for the movie. And then, yeah, trajectory was a downhill ski slope. For sure. Kevin, did you have the same feelings about it? Yeah, 100%. Um, going into it, uh, I felt that it was going to have to do some work to impress me. Um, I sometimes hate getting spoilers out of the way, but there was, you know, that overending to look at it before I watch it and kind of had this feeling that it wasn't going to be fantastic. But the beginning was great, and I was going to give it a chance and thought there was maybe something to it that was not really there. But um, as the um, entirety of it kind of plotted on, I was left with nothing but disappointment, but there was some some artistic parts that I did think was quite was quite excellent. I thought that the the costuming um, in some circumstances with the cowboy outfits um, and some of the uh, some of the fever dream elements that was actually pretty cool. Um, and if they would have kind of went into that a little bit more instead of just leaving it as a, a first half of the movie type of thing and then abandoned it completely as part of what the film was about, uh, maybe I was gonna get into it a little bit. More. But for me, uh, not on, only was the uh, soundtrack, or not the, the wardrobe a little bit, but the soundtrack for me, um, it was an original track, which I found out later, um, which was kind of interesting. It was one that was just commissioned by a guy who makes music, um, I think maybe out of Detroit, if I read that right. Um, but he it didn't actually fit for me. It didn't felt like it was kind of transitional. It wasn't like each song fit what each scene was supposed to be. And maybe if they were using some original tracks instead of, or, you know, some time pieces instead of that, it would have been a little bit better. But uh, for me, that from the artistic standpoint, it was trying a little bit too hard. And eh, it could have been, could have been better in some spots. Yeah, the composer and performer was Liam Hayes out of Chicago, actually. Chicago. But, uh, ah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, Blaze, when you saw that intro, uh, what did you think, like, you were getting into in this film? Yeah, so, like, I hate to sound like a broken record, um, the intro was very interesting. I really, you know, I, going into it, I knew it was written by, uh, Roman Coppola, who, you know, does Wes Anderson-y type of film. So I thought that's, uh, I thought I was gonna at least, it's supposed to be, uh, Charlie Sheen, right? So, you know, in a fantasized world. So... You know, when he's, you know, that black background and everything, it was like, okay, this could be something interesting, you know, where he's going to play a fictionalized self, according to, like, the plot reviews or whatever. They said it's about him redemption. So, you know, you knew it was going to be, like, the horrible breakup or whatever, and then, you know, his swing back into relevancy. Um, that swing never happened. But uh, as far as opening credits, it, like I said, it reminded me of, like, a Wes Anderson type of uh, film, so... You had that going for it. And then after, I feel like it took a big downturn. Um, Cole, what did you feel about it after the intro? Like, exactly where it put you uh, after that huge stylistic intro? Yeah, so, <laughs> watching the movie, so there was a lot of, like, color choices. It seemed like there was a lot of, like, reds. Everything was, like, very red or very blue or very, like, green. Like, it started off and it shows him in, like, a red robe in a red room, and then it switches to blue and he's talking to, you know, his girlfriend. And then he, like, uh, also had glimpses of, like, Twi uh, Quentin Tarantino with a lot of shoes and feet going on with all the shoes on the ground. <laughs> and, but and then he's, like, loading them up in, like, a green trash bag, which, who has a green trash bag? It's very strange. <laughs> uh, but, and I was like, man, there's a lot of, like, 
bright colors going on. So I started keeping track of everything that was like red, blue, and green. And there's a fucking lot of them. Uh, which a lot of like weird things like he had like a green velvet suit his car was was blue like the hospital was blue uh and then i realized that oh none of this mattered because none of it really tied to anything and it was just the, the director just liked those colors i'm assuming because i could not figure out why they were those colors for a lot of things um and it yeah, just if i could yeah. jump in yeah, as far as uh, designers go and everything those are your three colors if you're a digital designer and though it is the 70s, it's not like they had computer channels or anything, but red, blue, green right. are your three channels. Fair so, enough. Maybe, yeah. Well, there we go. We dis- we, we discovered the, the reasoning behind those colors. Uh, but, yeah, it's just like, I don't know. The, the intro was very cool. It got me interested. Um, I liked the, like, start where it's kind of confusing as to what's happening he's like getting broken up and then he's like in a hospital but there was a lot of like very hard cuts that were hard to follow and i was trying to figure out if it was like dreams or fever like fever dreams or reality or what yeah. and it was just uh and then it turns out none of it really mattered and in the end it just you know then happens and you move on with your life uh but i did love jason schwartz his cowboy outfit with the star Sportsman with the star with the star of David's on his shoulders and stuff. It's a very nice touch. And Bill Murray dressed as John Wayne from uh, I think it's like War Wagon was uh, also a very nice touch that I enjoyed greatly. <laughs> so yeah, let's let's touch on the ensemble a bit here. Um, they you know Charlie Sheen obviously the star here, but then Catherine Winnick is uh, plays Charlie Sheen's ex girlfriend. They splurge. They got Bill Murray who around this time was doing. A lot of indie films he was kind of you know reinventing himself as this cool indie actor and he was you know doing weird things on the streets where apparently he would like come up to people behind urinals or something <laughs> tap on their tap on their shoulder and then they would turn around and he would tell them like uh you'll they'll never believe you and then he runs away you know i heard stories like that and then obviously you have aubrey plaza who uh she it was yeah during parks and rec time um, but she was still kind of like a lesser-known actor uh, doing more indie films mostly. And then, of course, you have Jason Schwartzman, who's been in all the Wes Anderson films pretty much. Like, not all of them, but a lot of them. And he was also in a uh, Tim and Eric's Bedtime Stories, which might be my, one of my favorite uh, <laughs> like shows on TV of all time. Either way, um, they definitely splurged on this ensemble cast, but I feel the material wasn't quite there for them to deliver. Uh, Blaze, uh, talk about the cast a little bit. Yeah, I think you also missed uh, Patricia Arquette. She's in the movie. Oh, yeah, of course, Patricia Arquette. Yeah. Um, yeah, got, um, so I use the name Wes Anderson a lot. <laughs> and uh, Jason Swordsman and Bill Murray are two very, very reoccurring uh, people that show up in his films. So it pretty much goes hand in hand. Uh, like you said, I think from a production standpoint, I feel like this is probably why A24 took their... Um, their shot at uh, this movie because of the cast that was attached to it. Um, again, uh, Bill Murray's one of the all-timers. Uh, you know, Jason Schwartzman, he's always done that really good at, like, the artsy, you know, uh, funky-ass movies that he's always into. Charlie Sheen, like we said before, he was blowing up at that time. He was the most famous person on the internet. Audrey Plaza, like you said, um, I think uh, Mary Kate Winstead was in it, if I remember seeing her correctly. Yes, yep. Uh, Ramona Flowers. Yeah. Yep. Oh. So, I mean, as far as, yeah. like, when you get asked for a cast and you told me all those names were attached, I would expect a pretty decent movie. Um, so I think they did a good job in uh, getting the type of people for that type of film. It just, uh, like I said, it just never showed up in the plot progression it fell apart in the writing and the plot progression more so than uh, the character. I actually thought Charlie Sheen acted pretty fine. How did they get all these people in the film? I, it blows my mind that they got all these people. I <laughs> yeah. do not understand how they got the budget or the time or the commitment from any of these people. That was my comment. Also, uh, Katherine uh, Winwick or whatever is in the show Vikings and is Lagatha, and she's awesome. I guess, so this was like only the second film that um, Roman Coppola ever directed. And so maybe it was just like, oh, this guy's done uh, stuff with Wes Anderson. You know, they gathered this amazing cast. But I don't, I don't get how they didn't read the script and just kind of see how it ends on such a flat note. And all these actors read it, saw everything attached to it, I guess. But 
They uh, they still went along. Maybe with they it. like thought um, Charlie Sheen was just yeah. gonna go uh, improv and go crazy. He's gonna carry yeah. this movie. Well, like, I yeah. think because again, like they like okay, these fantasy sequences were supposed to be like that quirky, you know, like haha, look at how fun of a film we are, making fun of you know, the womanizers mm-hmm. are the good guys, so we're gonna like you know, <laughs> show show a bunch of women on horses shooting them in the heart because that's you know <laughs> symbolism and art. Oh. I have a problem yeah. with that scene. She did not use that bow properly. She had her top finger wrapped around <laughs> the top. So when you would shoot, the fletching's going to cut her fingers, and it's going to ruin the shot, and it's going to go all over the place. That bothered me. Also, this is a comedy movie. The only time I laughed was when Jason fell off the horse. Only time was when he was getting off of it. He just kind of fell yeah. down. Oh, my God. Who wrote that stand-up? Like, I know he's not like a traditional stand-up comedian, but... Yeah, that was horrible. Missiles, women... I, I, I just didn't understand. Like, yeah. at least write something funny if you're not going to have a stand-up, you know, not a stand-up, play a stand-up. It was mm-hmm. awful. <laughs> There's some pretty... Kelly, so what did you what do you think about, like, the treatment of women in this film? Like, how they depicted women, Perfect. too? <laughs> Ideal situation. <laughs> Wish we could go back Ooh. to those simpler times. <laughs> no, it was terrible. <laughs> go ahead, Kelly. Give us a yeah. uh, perspective from a woman. Yeah, as, as a woman. <laughs> but I had, the first time that we see, and I don't know my actors very well, that's going to become a reoccurring topic throughout the whole thing, but the ex-girlfriend with blonde hair. Um, Lagatha. The way that they... Catherine Wynne. Yeah, Lagatha. the way that they were showing her kind of like in his mind and everything was like Hitchcock-esque, like vertigo, like the slow turnaround, like the slow appearance of like the blonde... Um, so I had like these high hopes and expectations and then scenes that she was actually in and interactions that they would have just fell flat. And then in his fantasy land, it was just over the top. Women are evil. Like, is that what (laughs) we're supposed to like pull from this? Because that's all I got. And I was trying to keep a pretty open mind and there weren't any, there's nothing, um, redeemable about the way that the women were written. Not really. So I found that a little bit disappointing. Maybe Roman was yeah. hurt. You know? Well, okay, <laughs> yeah. so the, the weird thing about this movie is, like, it's okay to have, like, an anti-hero as your protagonist. It's okay mm-hmm. if people have flaws. But the character of Charles Swan is so unlikable as a character. You know, like, who mm-hmm. who just, like, you know, just keeps nudie photos and they're like pretty much wide in the open like and we're supposed to feel bad for this guy for openly cheating (laughs) like this is supposed to be his big like that's what i talk about like the big redemption swing that he's supposed to have there was no arc he was just like oh what was me because i cheated on my girlfriend and you know Mm -hmm. here's my uh stand-up comedian buddy who's with me (laughs) i don't get it And I agree with you that an anti-hero still can be someone that you root for, and a lot of the times that works really successfully. But with him, they never really gave us anything deeper, and I know that it's just a glimpse into his mind, but give us something to root for, to be invested in. But then again, if we were, then what would it even bring us to? Because there was nothing that it ever led to. Kevin, what did you think kind of the general themes of this movie were supposed to be, the takeaways we were supposed to get from it? I feel like this movie had a, a skeleton. It had an outline. It had something that it was supposed to be, something that the director was like, this is what I'm going to share to the masses. <clears throat> the first theme, never fall in love again. Oh, we're going to... He was sitting on the, the hospital bed with his two nephews who were way too young for this subject matter. There was even times in this movie where he, he was, what, drawing uh-huh. pornography, it seemed like, and was talking about large breasts in front of these kids, and it was just kind of like it was supposed to be funny, health. and it was just super awkward. Uh-huh. Yeah. And there was another point where it was like the Monopoly bit where he memorized all of the starting rules to Monopoly really quickly, and they were going to play, and then they left the hospital room real quick. And I was like, why are we talking about Monopoly? It was just a very awkward thing there. But Never Fall in Love Again was a big theme. The next one was, can you love someone and then hate them too? Now, in all fairness, that's a deep question. That's something that, you know, you actually can think about from, you know, in love and romance and movie themes. Can you have that that difference between love and hate? But it was just so poorly explored. It was just like you have a relationship that doesn't work out. And at the end of the movie, they parted like adults and whoop-de-doo. You don't hate the person because of that. That's just the way relationships go. 
And then the idea of the ending, I did like the part, the theme at the end where they talked about how each other's relationships all added up and part of their life. Like at that ending mm-hmm. part there where it's like each other's experiences added up to who they are in the long run. So there were these overarching themes, but it was just so poorly explored and poorly thought out that I was just left making fun of the film more than actually paying attention to what the film was trying to do. Uh, I like, I, I love oh. the fact that there was like that overarch of like the very beginning with the foot fetish with all the shoes and stuff like that. And he takes the bag and he throws <laughs> it and it leads to all this other stuff of him going to the hospital and all this stuff. And then it like circles back and you know, she says, Oh, I want to come get my shoes. And you're like, Oh, he's going to do the good thing and like get the bag out of the tree finally. And like get his life back on track, you know, give it to her, move on, be adults. And it just shows him just grab, get in the bag and then just chucking it further down the hill. It's like, I'm over yep. you. I've moved on. I'm yeah. an adult. That was the cleansing <laughs> like, moment. That was the that... moment. That was like the, the arcing thing. Like, fuck you, yeah. lady. I'm <laughs> like, done. I just loved how That's the it. whole arc was just like, you're a shitty person. You're a shitty person. Uh, yeah, you're still a shitty person. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think it. I want my shoes back. Nope. Again, I'm thinking of like why this movie was even made. Like. Charlie Outside Sheen. of the fact that, yeah, I think, like, what? I, I, I hear the term, like, vanity project a lot, but this is, like, just overdoing it. They just, like, assume that everyone loves Charlie Sheen and Charlie Sheen-type characters. And there's no growth. And, like I said, these, uh, I, I know, like, what they're trying to do with these, like, fantasy sequences and stuff like that. Like, the, uh, I actually, like... As far as, like, set design and stuff like that goes, I think it's, like, really cool. Um, but they do absolutely nothing for the story. He doesn't learn anything. And it's just, like, why are we doing... Like, I don't understand. Like, I was finding myself, like, trying not to check Facebook every 20 seconds. Um, <laughs> especially during those fantasy sequences where the plot just refuses to advance. We don't learn anything. So... Yeah, and I agree with you that it seemed very Vanity Project, and something that we've all spoken about just briefly was the attempts at humor that, like, absolutely do not land over and over and over again, and I think that all of us are fans of kind of, like, off-the-beat, like, irreverent humor, so it should hit, like, it should be okay, but every single time it falls flat, you can't even really even smirk. Did you? So uh, as far as there was the one line, the one line he walks up right. He's about to confront the the boyfriend who's about to go skiing, and the boyfriend just looks at him. And he's like, you know, what? I've studied Wang Chung. <laughs> I was just like, yeah. what? Like that? That's your line? That's your go for? Like I'm Wang Chung, and that was the end. Like, okay, what do you guys? Did you guys awful. like the uh, just the random scene of him like laying on a hot dog, and then there's and then he also gets uh, X-ray goggles or sunglasses just <laughs> randomly like I just they had to get their R rating. Uh, it's true. They had to make sure they got their R rating. I just like yeah. I think uh, Kelly says it really good. Like I, I think we all appreciate the type of humor they were going for. Um, I think um, I don't know if it just wasn't acted right or it was just like. Okay, so I think of poorly written the, uh, the, yeah. the taxi cab scene, right? Where he's like, "Oh, you got any? You know yeah. any drug guys?" He's like, well, I know a caviar guy, and like in a different movie, that might be funny, but then like they like play it straight, like they're like in the back parking lot or whatever, and they're acting like they're doing illegal shit, but they're just getting beluga caviar, and it's just like, get it? Charlie Sheen does drugs, ha ha, you know. Yeah. yeah, his drug is life. Da 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 da. It's like okay, we get it. Stop masturbating. Get this movie over with. <laughs> I guess the main theme um, I I kind of gathered from it is a Rolling Stone gathers no moss. You know, like a person who does not settle in one place will not accumulate wealth or status or responsibilities or commitments. And obviously, he's like going bankrupt during the film. Um, he had a successful life, but he is extremely unhappy with how he never really found love. He's so sidetracked by wanting to live like how he always did that he can't settle down and work. And it's kind of uh, aging, getting the best of a creative, you know? And he obviously can't let go of the past. He has the garbage bag full of shoes and uh, all the nude pictures in his drawer. And I think it's like a big, you know, I think what they wanted us to feel uh, from the film is that you should let go of the past. uh, And I think that was... Him throwing the bag even further down the hill was hit, him letting go of the past truly. Like, 
there was that tree in the way stopping him from letting go of the past, uh, from stopping the uh, garbage bag full of shoes to fall down the hill. And, uh, yeah, and then he finally is able to chuck it at the very end. And so I think that's what they wanted us to feel from the film. The problem is uh, I did not care enough about the character or, you know, the acting just was not good enough for me to actually care that this guy finally let go of his past. So, yeah. yeah. There was even a moment in there when we were supposed to feel super bad when his toucan got mysteriously murdered by someone. But they never revealed anything further about why the bird died or who killed it. Or why there wasn't subtitles in the second scene they were speaking Spanish, yes! but there were subtitles in the oh first scene. And yeah. I just want to know how we're going to get justice for this bird. I mean, that bird was really the first thing fed enough, Or wheel. wasn't eating enough, Ugh. right? That was weird. Yeah. Ah. Like, I forgot about parts of the... Why does he speak to his, like, made in Spanish? And then, like... Well, Charlie Sheen is... is uh, does, isn't he, like, uh, half Mexican or Spanish well, he is, or he's Yeah, he's, like, Latino. Yeah, but, so like... it's his life, man. Okay. He's, you know... But is Charles... Estevez. Is Charles Swan the third Spanish? Ah. Right, did we touch on that? Uh, I do uh. love the call-out of the most expensive coffee in the world, which is a real thing... Uh, where he's talking about the coffee that the animal eats and then shits out and they collect the beans from the from its poop. That's a real thing. It's weird and I don't know why people do it, but it's a thing and I love that it was like it just like expressed how much just like bullshit he spends his money on. I don't know. It's just like the ending of him, uh, you know, getting the the bug the bugging equipment where he could listen to uh, her conversation in the house. And then she just kind of awkwardly sees him through the bushes, and it's He's just so like close. so poorly He's so done. Close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Overall, yeah. I so uh, we will give our grades for this film and uh, how we grade these films. Uh, we do an A through an F twenty four, with uh, A twenty four being the best grade. And I think I'm going to give this an E twenty four. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. But definitely the worst A24 movie I've ever seen. Uh, the writing, the story, the acting, it was just so underwhelming for all the talent that Roma, Roman Coppola had on his team. And I'm going to go ahead and say Roman Coppola might be a nepotism baby. It's like, I think he really only got where he got because of his last name. Not to shame, you know, like, all the Wes Anderson films he was on, but honestly, Wes Anderson films, they're not as much known for their writing as their style, their directing. So... I guess, you know, maybe he gets some points for that, but not not a ton in my book. And um, that was definitely at, at the point, you know, Charlie Sheen, he really started going over the hill. Like, I think he did have something in uh, the, you know, 2008 to 2012, like, uh, time frame there where he was a good enough actor to carry a TV show. But in this one, I think it's just like he was really going over the hill. So um, he didn't make me care about make me care about the character at all. Not captivating. All of the ensembles in the cast they were you know like poorly done, poorly written, and uh, the directing and execution of the story was just sloppy at best. So uh, Kevin, what what grade do you give this film? So I'm not gonna give the first A24 movie that I ever review the absolute worst score possible because that would mean there was nothing lower to go and like that just seems irresponsible. So we're gonna go with an A24 D. Minus because it was pretty damn bad, but because there D was minus some... twenty four. That's how yeah, D minus yeah. twenty four. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> there was some excellent um, actors that tried to do their best with what they were given, uh, but in the end, all of this movie tried to do was be a Wes Anderson flick and nothing more. It sold itself on the quirkiness of that. It sold itself on his connection to them, uh, to the director's connection in the first place. It sold itself on that from the beginning, and it just absolutely fell short from the beginning to the end. It tried to make the audience feel a certain way. It tried to make you laugh. It tried to make you feel like there was some awkward moment that was better than it really was in the end. It really just tried super hard, and that's all that I was left with. I was super grateful that it was only 124 minutes long because any minute longer and I absolutely would have turned off the TV. I'm glad it only made 45,000 domestically because this <laughs> terrible movie Super popular in Russia. It whatever. like made a bunch of money in Russia. Most of its money in Russia. And there Very we go. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, <laughs> uh, I guess that's all we have to say about this movie. 
and I can't wait to talk about the next one. Cool. Uh, yeah, so uh, another correction, it was 86 minutes. 124 is way too much. It is way too long. This thing is only 86 yeah, minutes. Yeah, it was like 84 minutes. Yeah, and, and, and like 10 minutes were, were the, wow, were the I, credits. I don't even know what Maybe I was thinking. Maybe it felt like 124 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, is, it is a brisk like 75 minutes max. <laughs> Hour and 24 minutes? Yeah, Maybe there you go. Okay, minutes. that makes more sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I'm with Kevin. I can't give it an F because I, I, there might be something worse, but I'm like struggling to think of a movie that I've just not cared for more than this one. Uh, however, it was only 86 minutes, so it did not take a lot of my time. I've definitely wasted my time on for way longer on way worse shit. So I'll give it an E. I'll be an E24 boy. Uh, I can't really say that there's anything... Uh, good, grand, or indicative of this being anything more. Uh, and also, it, Ruben, it ruined Roman's career as a director since he never directed a movie after yeah. this. So, yeah. I mean, maybe some good th- things came out of it because obviously he's not a director. Kelly? E24 from me, you had everything in your wheelhouse to make a good movie. Everything at your hands, and you failed and it was unfunny and it led nowhere and i took nothing away from it but the style was nice so you're not an f e24 what is this e coming from what school did you guys go to it's a b c d f i think it gives yeah. us one more yeah. like letter we to give it. a grade something, yeah it, something yeah. could be worse i mean theoretically okay. yeah <laughs> all right i just feel weird <laughs> No, you you go for an F, baby. Like when when, when Eric it. said E when Eric said E twenty four, I thought he was joking. I'm like, why am I the only one laughing? Um, we're playing uh, Battleship. Listen, <laughs> well, yeah, we're not going by actual school grades. I guess. Oh, I got we're, it. You know, we just want to go A through okay, F. Okay, okay, okay. Now I know. Um, be that as it may, I will give it an E twenty four as well. Mainly because it was a twenty four's first movie, and I think everyone gets that. Uh, you know, first at bat, you know, it was horrible swing and miss. I think it relied way too much on the star power and who was behind the scenes. And it was just like I, like I said, it was just trying to be that quirky, fun art movie. And it just assumed that we loved uh, Roman Coppola because of who his dad was. And it assumed we loved Charlie Sheen because of what Charlie Sheen was. It was all just, you know, them looking at themselves in the mirror and being like, we don't even have to write this. We just, you know put some cool color palettes on and, uh, you know, we'll just skate by. And it's not a good movie. Um, but like I said, I'm going to give them that free pass. I hope the next movie is better. Um, I know Spring Breakers is better. That's be our third movie. So um, hopefully this is like just, you know, the training wheels. Now the training wheels are off. After this movie, I'm going to start like grading these uh, a lot harder. But for the, for the first one, terrible movie. But I can't give it an F because it's their first one. So. For sure. Any other comments on uh, this film? Movie? Burn it. It's like... So our next movie will be Ginger and Rosa, nice. uh, directed by Sally Potter. Uh, the friendship between two British teenagers is tested during the peak of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, but this actually got better reviews uh, than this film. And I don't know. I, I'm hoping that it kind of picks up from here. You know, Ellie Fanning was in the next film. Christina Hendricks and Annette Benning. So I think those films, uh, or I mean, those actors, hopefully, should be enough to carry a film, uh, even it's though got this Christina film, Hendricks in you know, it. I'm all in. Really underwhelmed. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it will it will actively have to try to be worse than this yeah. movie. Like, yeah, they could just 100%. they're gonna have to like put like manure in a reel and just. <laughs> <laughs> so no, not a great first movie at all. Um, just burn it. I want my $2 back from YouTube. I'm going to see if that goes. Um. <laughs> By the way, if you get your like library card, you can go on Canopy. Uh, you just got to enter like a pin from your library card. This is a Canopy advertisement. <laughs> I yeah. tried. Yeah, maybe. Tried. Hopefully Canopy uh, could uh, give us a yeah, sponsor. Savannah, Savannah, Georgia libraries don't do that, so I couldn't oh. do it. No, oh, really? I tried. Oh, that's tried not surprising yeah, whatsoever. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> I had, uh, I had to use my Showtime yeah. subscription, which I didn't realize Wait. I had. S- yeah. Savannah has libraries? Yeah, Savannah, Georgia, yeah. Didn't they burn all those books? 
You're in evolution. You're in South Florida. You're in like you're even in a worse place. It's just the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the Bible. (laughs) There's like 500 different versions of the Bible at the Savannah, Georgia. You can just rent one chapter at a time. Oh, damn! Psalm 52 is out again. Come on, Martha. (laughs) That's awesome. Can I say Uh, one last thing on the movie? Sure. To go outside of the A24 wheelhouse, did anyone else get kind of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood vibes would be the good way to do that movie? Yeah, well, it's very stylized, like, the same way Once Upon Mm. a Time in Hollywood is. So I think that stylized 70s feel is very, very akin to each other. It just one was executed way better. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. They both had yeah. similar feet shots of like her close up with her feet on exactly. the car and oh all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cole, can we start a feet counter on this channel? Like we definitely should. I yeah. I am not a <laughs> shoes being the overarching thart the, the overarching theme in that whole thing was just Cole. Yeah. Shoes at the beginning, shoes in the middle, <laughs> shoes at the end. My first my literally my first note is just foot fetish question mark, and then I wrote confirmed after yeah. they had the close up of the feet. You write that at I the top say... of all of your journals, just be honest. Oh yeah. No, that's just your personal. It is a popular journal. porn genre for a reason. For a reason. So the funny thing yeah. is that's Cole's personal journal. Yeah, he was watching. Yeah. He was like, "Do I have a foot fetish?" Confirm. Yeah, I watched the yeah. movie. And I was like, "I definitely do." Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So from now on, we're gonna end every uh, podcast with Cole giving us a foot count. All right, foot counter. Yeah, I really hope this makes it into the pod. <laughs> Oh yeah, push your heart out. Push your heart out, Quentin. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Roman Coppola's coming for your ass. <laughs> yeah, winning. <laughs> I can't believe that's the first time someone said that. I enjoy our constraint. That was uh, mm-hmm. was very good. That was a good one. But uh, anyways, yeah. All right, I... next week I will. Fun fact: all uh, twelve thousand uh, dollars in the box office that this movie made. Uh, they were actually all Quentin Tarantino tickets. <laughs> oh. Um, oh. He bought all yeah. of the tickets. I believe Who it. Knew? Yeah. Who knew? Wait. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy world. He just watched it over and over again for the feet. Need more feet. <laughs> just for the feet. Uh. All right. Well, all right. I think that's going to give us, a, also give the crowd, like, kind of a good um, template for how we are as people. Uh, some of us are degenerates here, and. Um, it's going to be, uh, there's another uh, A24 podcast called the A24 Project that has kind of the same idea as us, but I hope that you will find that we're uh, a bit more vulgar, a, little, a bit more rough around the edges, and uh, if that's your kind of um, podcast, then hopefully you'll like us. Only one of us shaves, apparently, so that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kelly, the only one without... Uh, Without any facial you gotta, hair, you gotta like uh, yeah, step up your game, like, girl. You, you gotta you gotta get like a mustache wig from like based <laughs> off Eric's, Ooh. and then just wear it for the podcast. Or get like one of those like knitted masks that look like a beard. Because mm-hmm. you know, how can you give your opinion yes. on movies if you don't twirl your mustache? That's all. <laughs>